Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. The Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast. It's unbelievable skills that he does. I, I would find him way more skillful than nearly anyone else. His ball handling is, is probably the best in the world and it's never really talked about. I, I would find him way more skillful than Russell now. I, maybe maybe I, I see it just, just see it a bit differently. But Will, what we I want, what we want to see thing. is uh, Johnny Sexton not making Stuart Hogg and that, then it's the, <laughs> there's, there's the tag. Ireland's Grand Slam bid is still on track after last weekend in Rome, but Italy made things very difficult even as Andy Farrell's side secured their third consecutive bonus point win of this Six Nations campaign. Scotland and England now stand between Ireland and a first clean sweep since 2018. And as always on the Left Wing Podcast, there is plenty to sink our teeth into. Will Slattery here with you, and I'm delighted to be joined by Luke Fitzgerald and Keen Tracy. And Keen, it was certainly an interesting game in Rome over the weekend. I know you were out there enjoying the pizza and the pasta and a, a little bit of sightseeing at the end by the Coliseum. But, uh, you know, is your effect on the game now a couple of days later? Is the more of a takeaway that Italy... You know, forced Ireland that it was in comfortable areas and it was their good performance that did so or is it Ireland not being at their best because Ireland are the number one team in the world like do we expect a little higher standard from them even with guys missing I think we do but I think we do we do, should give credit to Italy as well and I don't think it's patronising to, to do that this is a very different Italian team I thought Paolo Garbisi coming back made a huge difference to their attack and I think you know, given all the changes that Ireland had, even Gary Ringrose pulling out late in the day, which seems to be like just a theme of Ireland's Six Nations so far. And when you consider like new centre combination, new halfback combination and the, the quality of players that they were out, I think we have to allow for that. You would still expect the standards, I think, to be higher, certainly defensively. But some of the attack and play from Ireland was exceptional, I thought, equally from Italy. But I did think Italy's like good attack was more down to Ireland's poor defence. Um, some of it was... I thought really really poor and so while they they went and got the job done I would imagine when they come back into camp on Wednesday for like another two days I think the big focus will be on the defence more so than the attack because obviously they're going to Scotland on Sunday week and I think you know I know we'll get on and chat to him about like but Finn Russell I think is the exa- exactly the type of half who could unlock the kind of holes that Ireland were appearing in in, in midfield, especially on Sunday or last Saturday. So I do think there was obviously circumstances around that, but I think we are right to hold Ireland to, to higher standards. They've gotten to a stage now where you know everyone is kind of looking at them forensically, like opposition teams, supporters, um, and when guys get chances, you have to take them. So even though you are playing in a new combination, it's not really an excuse either. I mean, Andy Farrell has spoken so often about that you know it's a no excuses culture so um, I think a lot of guys not miss an opportunity but maybe didn't kind of deliver enough is what I would say yeah it was always a thing we talked about when we recorded that one after the team news was announced a mm. few guys you know going back to the Fiji game and Andy Farrell was very unhappy with some of the fringe guys now I know the guys who featured last Saturday are far higher up the pecking order than some of those guys in November but still maybe interesting that a few lads maybe didn't quite nail their, their opportunity Luke for you like there's loads of specifics we can get into in a minute but just broadly like you know from what Keane was saying um, um, your assessment of the game like we 
when the full time whistle went and now you've decided to, you know can I look back and were you pleased with how Ireland played overall or, or what, what's your assessment yeah, you know, look, I was pleased. I thought it was to, it's become a tough place to go and get the win. Uh, I think um, you know Italy are far more adventurous. I think they test you far more than they have in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, and they expo- expose a few weaknesses in in that Ireland defence. And I think Ian, or sorry, uh, Keane was right there. Um, just in terms of maybe the combinations might have been a factor there. Um, you know, and maybe we'll cover the defensive bits, uh, particularly because lots of the problems are in the areas where I might have a little bit of insight, hopefully. Um, out in the wide channels, they were really, really poor. But um, yeah, look, I think they can be pleased. Um, I thought they attacked well. I think Ross Byrne ran the show well. Um, you know, I think that was very pleasing. I think, you know, the team isn't going to suffer from that perspective if... Uh, well, it's not going to be the same, but it's, it was bloody close, I thought. I thought he, he ran the show really, really well. Didn't try to overplay at times. I thought his kicking from hand was pretty decent. Um, missed a few from the deck, but they were tough ones, so maybe we give him a bit of uh, a bit of slack for that. And I thought he guided the team around the pitch very well. thought Casey was pretty good too. Murray looked very good when he came on. He looked sharp. So, yeah, I thought there was lots of positives. And I think, um, you know, I think some of the guys coming on, like I thought uh, I thought Baird had a massive impact. Uh, you know, he looks, I think it's going to be harder and harder to justify not selecting him somewhere. He has been awesome for Leinster this season. Now, I know his timing with injuries has been great, but, God, I just thought he looked like a force out there, like a proper athlete. Sometimes, you know, the step up from, you know, Interpro to international, uh, that kind of athletic prowess doesn't always transfer. But God, he looks so good out there and he'll be hard to to not pick uh, going forward. I think he really did himself a a lot of favours. So, yeah, I think Ireland can be very pleased. I think you would see an improved defensive performance as well with a bit more time with that combination together. I'd say that's rare enough that that McCluskey and... um, uh, and Aki would be playing together. I've been a little bit critical, as has Gary, of his own defensive misses at times, but I know it's part of the defensive mindset that coming off the line, it makes James Lowe's job an awful lot easier, as it does, um, as it does um, for, for the rest of the back line and, the, and actually the whole back, the whole, the whole team, really. Uh, so if someone's not doing that, or if Robbie Henshaw's not doing that, it looks like there's a bit of a gap. So I don't think it's not it's not possible for the guys that come in, like McCluskey or Aki, to come in and do that. But um, they've got some big shoes to fill in that respect, and that's why I think we saw such a well I thought it was a really poor defensive performance I think Ringrose seems to Ringrose and Henshaw are very very important to that um, so that was maybe the only thing that was a little bit troubling but I think they get that right over time so I think I was very pleased overall I know that covered a lot of things there but um, there was an awful lot to cover from the game and I think you know the good thing is we learned an awful lot about some of the areas where you know maybe we're not infallible coming into this Scottish game and I'm sure we'll cover them but they, you're right. I think they will pose us a lot of problems and they'll test us. So we need to be on the game and in all those respects that we were a little bit off the pace in Italy. Yeah, Keen, let's start with the defence because you were writing about it today as well. It's kind of an interesting juxtaposition because they're missing a lot of tackles in this tournament, but they've only conceded four tries across the three matches, one of which was an intercept. So only three tries that they've been kind of unlocked. And there's been lots of good kind of, I don't know if you'd say scramble defence or kind of goal line stands, couple against Wales come to mind. You know, there was a couple of turnovers at important moments over the weekend as well. You know, what's your view on, on how the team is defending, given that they're actually not conceding that many tries, but, you know, it's clear as day at the weekend that Italy were really, you know, cutting through them at times. Yeah, like it, it is interesting. Like, I mean, in three games, they've conceded 79 tackles, which is 13 more than they conceded in the whole of last year's Six Nations. And even when you consider last year's Six Nations, they only conceded four tries as well, which is the same number as they've conceded now. So, um, 
it's fine once you're getting away with it and not conceding tries but I just think it's a worrying habit to be in to be missing that those kind of tackles like their, their missed tackle stats against France were, were crazy and like okay Italy have improved but they're not one of the best teams in the world and even allowing for the new combinations like I mentioned and Lucas since touched on as well I just it, it's not good enough really at this standard it's not what you come to expect from the world r- number one ranked team in the world and I think it is interesting you know I was making this point as well today that you know when Andy Farrell took over I think there was a lot of people out there would have thought Ireland were going to become a defence oriented team given Farrell's background and the unbelievable he work he did as defence coach but they actually haven't been like defence is still really important to them but they've become far more attacking in, in what they're doing and even at the end of the game there you saw Andy Farrell coming on and roaring on to Conor Murray to, to keep playing if they get the ball alive like clearly you know he's thinking that the, the Six Nations Championship could come down to, to points difference and I was kind of reminded Reminded of you mentioned the Fiji game will back in November and Eddie Farrell was really annoyed after that um, that Ireland kicked the ball out of play against 14 men against Fiji when the game was already won in a game that you know plenty of people had come and paid good money to see and this was something Farrell touched on after the game on um Saturday as well you know he was asked do you feel like you know you have a duty to, to entertain and clearly he said he, he does and he agrees because Kieran Crowley made the point as well but that doesn't mean that he's gone away from the principles that I think he stands for. And that is clearly that you need to have a resolute defence. So um, while the, the, the tries conceded is, you know, the best in the tournament, and it was the best in the tournament last season as well, even though France won it, I just don't think you can afford to be missing those kind of tackles, especially when you talk about stepping up in opposition. Like I think Scotland, you know, we've mentioned Finn Russell, like their centre partnership, Tui Pilato and uh, Hugh Jones have been exceptional, I think, in the Six Nations. Um and even if you're looking further beyond to what's to come next year so um, it's fine they're getting away with it now but it's not a habit I think that they want to be getting used to I totally agree with what Luke said um, I was writing about this um, after the game as well that like Gary Ringrose just makes such a big difference and I think it's been clear for a while that if Gary Ringrose is injured then Robbie Henshaw is the next man in at 13 but after that I think now Andy Farrell has a bit of a problem because okay Bundyaki might not have trained a lot at 13 last week because Gary Ringrose was a late withdrawal but who, who do you think plays 13? Actually, we got a, a listener question from Andrew mm. O'Connell wondering if it's, you know, say if Ringrose and Henshaw aren't fit for Scotland, like who starts number 13 for you? I think Jimmy O'Brien probably does, even though he doesn't play obviously 13 that regularly for Leinster, but he played in the centre in November. Um, I just think you need a bit more pace um, than, than Aki showed at the weekend. It was so clear that Italy went after him and it had a knock on effect like Lucas touched on. Like I thought James Lowe at times looked like the James Lowe that was defending when he first broke onto the scene and I think so much of that is down to Gary Ringrose when he's next to him my, my big fear was with uh, McCloskey and Aki like apparently they're both really quiet guys like who was the one going to be like leading the communication and you can see particularly when you're at games how much Ringrose talks and Henshaw is very very similar so I think it is a bit of an issue when they're both out I, like if neither Henshaw or Ringrose made it back for the Scotland game I'd be shocked if Andy Farrell played Stuart McCloskey and Bundy Aki in the centre again. It, like I just didn't think it worked. I thought it looked clunky. I thought it looked muddled. And while they'll have plenty of time training, I think you need a little bit more pace, a little bit more nous there. So 
Jamie O'Brien I think would be the next man in but like you do have a guy like J- Osborne? Jamie Osborne yeah like I, I just think that the fact he hasn't really kind of been in the shake I get, I put the trauma in at Murrayfield for his first Ireland he, cap he didn't but, he hasn't been travelling with the squad either which makes me think that he's a little bit oh. further out he's back at Leinster this week and I think I know he's further down the line again but I think someone like Antoine Frisch as well um, could be worth looking oh. it might come too late in the World Cup cycle for him but I've been really impressed with him and I think he's very similar to Gary Ringrose obviously not on the same level yet but there's a lot of attributes to him that I see in Ringrose as well so he might be a bit of a wild card shout so they do have options I just don't think they'll go with that centre com- combination again Well it does look like Ringrose and Henshaw or at least and or Henshaw will be available so it will be interesting to see what they do Luke and just in terms of the defensive points Keenwood's making and the defence in the wide channels you touched on it there like if Ringrose does come back in does, does that alleviate most of what you saw at the weekend or were there kind of other things you looked at and thought mm, that could still actually crop up again no matter who we have in the centre yeah look there's a bit of both with that so you know the, the great thing I talked you heard me talking about Henshaw all the time when he's in the team and, and how brave he is about taking those steps forward it looks like Ringrose has got that fed into his game now having played beside Henshaw for so long what it does is it reduces down the options um, you know, for the opposition playmaker, if the guys on the outside are coming or just continue to come up and the guys on the inside follow up, or sorry, the guys on the outside follow up the guys on the inside. Um, but it's really brave. You have to really back your tackle technique and the angle you're coming into the tackle. Um, if you're the guy on the inside coming off the line against the playmaker, um, because it's really hard to change direction there. It's, I think it's probably why Ringrose has mentioned why he kind of misses a lot of tackles or he has his tackle stats haven't been unbelievable. Now, oftentimes you push people back. Back into the right position. That's why I mentioned the angle portion of it being very important too. You've got to be very confident in all those things. But if you do that, it makes the job for the outside guys really, really easy. You just have to get off the line. That's it. It's that simple. And um, my issue is that I feel that there is still times, and I've talked to some ex-wingers about this as well that kind of played in our area where we didn't actually come up as hard in those kind of circumstances. Um you had to think a little bit more about because you know you gave the opposition more time you had to back your footwork, if to back the angles, you had to know where you know where you were going to be able to if you had a guy on the inside where you were going to you know what your position was to bring him into the game. So you might get beaten your inside shoulder, but it meant Drico was there in your inside if you didn't overcommit. You gave him time to get up on his guy and come out to you. Um, and I just feel like that's a bit of a if, if I look at some of the guys now, it's a bit of a lost art. They don't look very good when they don't when they're not coming forward and when the pressure isn't on the playmaker when the options in front of them aren't that are are, are, are are kind of plentiful versus when they're kind of scarce um when the guys are pressurizing them and that's a that's a that is a dangerous place to be i i look i'm always very uneasy watching the guys defend there i think they look guys turn their back on the playmaker like basic rules of the game um, they don't look like they can defend um, we would have called it kind of soft but when you actually give the opposition time and your numbers down they look really bad in that scenario to me, uh, scenario to me. their tackle technique looks a little bit um, uh, you know not great they kind of mess up some kind of basic rules as well like even if you think about that Pinot try um, experienced guys in the team make bad bad mistakes in that, in that uh, try like they were able to, you know, the Fra- French guy was about to pass the ball. They were committed to a tackle, but they pulled out of it and let the French guy run, like run on. That person then played a key role later on in the play. Like kind of real basic things that they teach you, um, you know, whenever you're playing the game. You know, you don't need to, you know, you don't need to take the guy out with a dirty tackle, but when he's passed the ball. But if you're committed, 
you you know you take that you you make sure you tackle that guy in the ground because if you're out of the game he has to be out of the game too so I, I, that that always worries me about some of the guys i wonder do they do much training on that or do they just train that hard off the line hard off the line hard off the line um my sense is that's what they only do um because i can't see any evidence to, to, to support a view that those people are actually in a situation where they have to think and they're not on the front foot you know that they're good defenders. It's a real harsh thing to say, but that's my that's my view. And if I haven't watched it, and haven't talked to the other ex pros, um, that is a concern of theirs too. I mean, they don't think there's any real, true, like pure, like really, really good defender. You know, out in those chances, like Doug Howlett. Doug Howlett was always brilliant at that. Easton Sea was excellent at, at at those kind of things. Um, you know, that that is a concern of mine at times watching these guys. Um. So, yeah, look, it'll be interesting to see if that ever gets exposed. My, my concern would be, I think teams like New Zealand, like a resurgent New Zealand, I think New Zealand get better before this World Cup. They've got some serious athletes and they've got great ball handlers generally. Um, I think they find opportunities like that against us. Um, that if, if we get to that quarterfinal, if we you know do well in our pool, I'd be concerned about that. I, I, I think France as well get better and I think, they won't play as badly as they did in the Aviva. So, yeah, I, I am worried about it, guys. Um, I think we might have enough to get past these last two teams, but uh, World Cup was probably in the back of my mind thinking we might get exposed in those areas. Yeah, but even Scotland, like I know you kind of said, like you listed a few other teams, but like as we said, like they're, they're throwing the ball around, they're cutting through teams, you know, out wide, they have firepower, they have skills, and from the Merva, Hogg in the centre, the two lads you mentioned are having cracking tournaments, probably the two best centres of the tournament, so it'll certainly be one to watch. You might move on from the defence, because we, I think we've co- covered it pretty thoroughly, like Luke mentioned a couple of the bench guys who had huge performances the weekend, Ryan Baird is someone we touched on when the team was announced, saying because we, we were wondering about the Conan selection and we said maybe a more accurate representation of the form line would have been Baird at six if you wanted to mix things up and keeping Caelan Doris where he has been so effective and where he was more effective again when he swapped back in but he is a guy as Luke said even if you go back to the Edinburgh game in 21 his big block down contributed to Johnny Sexton kicking that winning penalty so he has kind of performed in Murrayfield before but he's a very interesting kind of person in this squad like does he come onto the bench would you have a bolter and, and put him straight into the team like what, what do you think of it, what, where he is? I thought he was exceptional. I thought the bench again was very good as a whole. Like someone like Tom O'Toole was very good when he came on. But Baird is he's just a unique athlete. I mean, like Ireland don't produce too many guys with his frame, of his size, with his speed. Uh, like we've people have probably heard it before, like but apparently like in, in training he runs as fast as some of the backs, like which is crazy when you think of his size when you see him in open field you can believe it <laughs> yeah so um, you've got to you have to use a guy like that um, I still think he's got a bit of work to do to, to get into the starting team I didn't think Ian Henderson had his most effective game and he's a guy since he's come back from injury still hasn't been quite at the, the, the player that we clearly know he is like he, he would be nowhere near the starting team if Tyburn was fit like he, yeah. he would be firmly on the bench and Tyburn being out obviously opens up a spot but my sense this is just what I reckon Andy Farrell and the coaches will will do would be that Ian Henderson and James Ryan will start again at Murrayfield Um, you'll absolutely 100% have Caelan Doris back to 8 I think that is becoming I'm not going to say an issue but I just don't get moving a generational talent probably the best number eight and well actually he is the best number eight in the world right now I don't get moving him out of position particularly for a guy who's not tearing up trees when he comes in Jack Onan hasn't hasn't been in his best form for quite a while now so and if you talk about form Will um 
And if you're moving Caelan Doris in, Gavin Coombs has probably been the best state um, in the country outside of Caelan Doris. So that to me is a bit tricky. Like, I, I wonder, I often wonder why uh, Jack Conan isn't the one who's made move to six when Caelan Doris is so effective. So um, I might bring Luke in on that point just because, you know, as, a, as the ex player among us, you know, the six versus eight. Like, if you're wearing six in your back, are you expected to do a little more of the physical work around the pitch that does that mean you maybe you don't get the ball in your hands as much? Because it did seem that Doris wasn't getting the ball as much and when he did move back to number eight in the second half he actually had a few really good carries you know in the build-up to maybe that final try is is it just a mental thing is it just I, I don't know is there anything to that like I think there is it was funny I was sitting when I was watching the match I was sitting next to um an ex-professional uh rugby player who's kind of uh <laughs> come on come on no no you wouldn't know him. he was a friend from school he oh. played for um Doncaster and all that like he like serious like serious rugby player just never big enough um and it was the f- first thing he said to me he like and, and I love Conan I, I really I think I just think Conan is a real classy player I actually thought he was quite good in the weekend but just there is I just think Doris having spoken to my to my friend about it you know he he was like, geez, they need to pick that guy out. I, like, he's so effective. Like, I haven't seen a better player. And I, I look, he's generally, you know, the way you, when you're watching players in your own position, it's hard to be unbelievably complimentary. You feel like you're only just picking out mistakes sometimes. Um, but yeah, he just, he thought he was speaking in the same kind of vein as you guys are. And, and I look, it was interesting when that happened, when he did go to eight, he did seem to have more touches, more impact. I just love the ball handling ability. The, like he seems to open up gaps for other players too. He's always doing clever things. I do still think eight is a bit more of a free roll than six. Um, I wish I knew. I wish I had more insight into that as a forward. But like just from talking to that guy in the weekend, um, you know, he, that was his. That was the first thing he said. Um, you know, at half time to me, we we're kind of talking about, and I was we we're just talking about players. And I was just thinking about how highly I rate Doris. You know. Um, and just he, he looked like he'd had a quiet first half and he was saying, yeah, well, like if they played him at eight, I think he gets more opportunities and better positions. And yeah, maybe, maybe there is something in that. Um, you know, I, I, as I said, I'm a huge fan of Conan's. I think you got to remember, like he hasn't had many opportunities as Six Nations really, um, you know, and that was his first game. So like we do have to have a little bit of that in the back of our mind, um, you know, when we are talking about guys coming into this. Now, the flip side is someone like Baird has had no impact or no games so far in the Six Nations really. And he's got, he, he was so effective when he came on. So there's two sides to that. So maybe I'm being, maybe we should hold him to a very high standard and there's very little opportunity in this Irish team. So maybe that's the only standard we can hold him to You because you won't get played again. Um, so I'm kind of torn on that one. It's because I really like Conan. I think he's a great tackler. I, I think he's got great ball handling skills. Kind of probably not as good as Doris, but bloody close. Um, he's a bit of a man mountain as well. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Doris just seems like he's on fire. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm really torn on that one. I think I might think uh, maybe I'd be thinking maybe the Leinster route. Maybe that that Baird at six. Maybe just because he you know he's great for the line out height as well. Having another second rower in there. Gives you great weight. That Scottish pack looked like they did reasonably okay in the scrum against France at times. Um, you know, so sort of, that may be something to look at as well. That, you know, having the extra weight with, with Baird there. So, yeah, guys, I know I didn't give you a great answer there. I was kind of muddling around, but I actually genuinely am. I've been thinking about that one, but haven't ha- I haven't got an answer for you because, as I said, I really like Conan. Well, for me, Keen, it kind of makes sense that, that you might be playing a little differently with six in your back because if you're playing the exact same way you play at eight, like hunting the ball, wanting to carry it all the time. Who's like, you know, hitting more of the rooks? Who's being that kind of physical presence? When we look at sixes, we think of like a Reese Ruddock, maybe Courtney Laws at six, you know, guys like that. If you're going to have two number eights in your back row and they're both trying to play number eight, 
does that leave you really exposed really kind of in other areas potentially yeah I'm, I'm laughing here Will because I've spent the last couple of days um, working on a piece uh, for this so I'm trying not to uh, give it away give and it away. I, I knew you were working on it as well <laughs> so thanks so I have actually spent the last couple of days um, talking about it and yeah like <clears throat> without giving no spoiler alert like but in short like the Sixers role is basically um, to be on the edge more so you're away from the play whereas Luke Luke is right the, the number 8 has a bit more freedom to get on the ball because it was remarkable really at the weekend how Doris didn't have a poor game but he just wasn't like popping up in as many positions as you normally it see it was him. the ball carrying for me that was yeah. kind of set gone and, from his game and, like, a little bit almost immediately when Jack Conan goes off and you know they, they make the switch and Peter O'Mahony comes on he starts to pop up in place and you're kind of going should it really be like this? But clearly the roles are so defined that, you know, he is expected to to stay out in the wider channels. But I don't think, like, you know, I understand, like, Luke's point about, like, Ryan Baird coming and playing six, but, like, I think Peter O'Mahony has been pretty good. And, like, we've had this age-old conversation about, oh, you know, should Peter O'Mahony be dropped? I'm not saying we're having it, but it's certainly out there. But I think the starting back row is nailed on as O'Mahony, Van der Fleer, Caelan Doris, but certainly with a Ryan Baird coming off the bench, especially now with uh, Tyg Burnout injured. And I actually think Jack Conan has done well off the bench in the, in the opening two games. Uh, so he gives you a good bench option, but... There's a lot of people in Munster looking at Jack Coleman's form and going, well, Gavin Coombs has been outstanding this season and when is he going to get a shot? So, uh, now, Conan has unbelievable credit in the bank, but if you're talking about picking on form, then Gavin Coombs should certainly be in the conversation too. Yeah, I just remember when they played the All Blacks in 2021, it was Conan, Van der Fleer, Doris, and they really fired that day. Like, Doris was prominent in all areas. He did carry balls. He got that great try, remember, mm-hmm. you know, bursting through the middle. And that was, I was like, oh, if they could harness this every week, but it just hasn't seemed to kind of click the same way since. Luke, in terms of the guys who were coming back in and, and how that should be managed, like, you know, Furlong, Sexton, Gibson Park, Ringrose, Henshaw, Andy Farrell saying that they're all probably available for Scotland. Like, do you, do you start most of them? Do you keep some on the bench? And, you know, because there's a six day turnaround as well to consider before the final game. So, it kind of opens up a few different options potentially or, or certainly gives them maybe a headache or two about how to best manage some of these returning lads. Yeah, yeah, no, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the furlong one is the one, like, I, I thought um, maybe that simplified a bit with um, uh, Beelham's injury, but I don't know, I think Tom O'Toole has been really good. Um, would you take a pop on him at starting and then maybe try and hold off on furlong? I think the thinking now on those things is different because if someone goes off injured, you're probably better off having, you know, that other person, uh, you know, say someone comes off injured, you're probably better off having Tom O'Toole as more rugby, rugby owner's belt coming on if there's an injury five minutes in or something like that. That seems to be the way those injury things go. But God, I'd love to see him have a shot at the start of the game. I think he looks like he's playing really good stuff. We know what we have with furlong. He's obviously world class. Um, so yeah, I'm torn on that one. Maybe, uh, maybe it's too big away from home. I think maybe Furlong actually Furlong. I think maybe to start. There. But to, but on, but on that one, Luke, on that one, you know. So if you if you say Furlong coming back in after a long layoff, uh, on paper this shouldn't be a, the biggest scrummaging test of their lives. Like the Irish pack should have a, a more physical presence. Can you do you start Tom O'Toole and then you start Furlong with a six day turnaround? Then after giving him the game time against England, where the scrum will be a much more kind of tougher assignment I think Scotland scrum is better than you think it is I think around Schumann's made a big difference there so I, I, yeah I thought they there was times and I, I don't know about you I just thought there was a few times where they looked like that France at home are usually a really different prospect you know scrummaging wise I thought they troubled them here and there I think that might be a bigger test than you think yeah I think the, for all these kind of you know conversations that you're having and no one really wants to admit it because the World Cup is so far away but 
the World Cup is in the back of their minds. So, like, I mean, with Tyke Furlong, like, he's clearly having issues in his lower leg with his calf and his ankle. Like, so, um, I think that that will be factored into their thinking. Like, Luke is right. Philly Beelham has been exceptional and what a, like, an unfortunate blow to, to lose him and also for him himself because he's probably been the, the breakout star, really, you know, you'd have to say for Ireland. Mm. So, I think when they're weighing up all these decisions and I'd be surprised if they're all fit, Will. Um, it, apparently, they're they never all, like, are. No, like, I, Gibson Park is the one that maybe you know he might not be ready to go but you, I would expect Murray maybe to, to come back in and start he's had a really good Six Nations with Craig Casey to come off the bench and you know Robbie Henshaw that'll be an interesting one because there is there are options there but whereas in Johnny Sexton and Gary Ringrose's case I think they're nailed on to start my understanding was that um both of them possibly particularly Sexton could have played if it was a you know a Grand Slam decider World Cup quarter final that kind of thing but again there was no point in risking it with the the, the strength and depth that's there so I think you'll certainly see Ringrose and and uh, Johnny Sexton come back in and the rest w- it will be interesting so um, Andy Farr like he has the whole time has been embracing the chaos and it's it's paid off so far but certainly for the last two games with a Grand Slam on the line I think he'll want as many of them back on board as possible I know it's a long way away but I I would say, can I, can I ask yeah. that, Will? I, I mean, I think that the Henshaw one would, would be, I think it would be set a bad precedent to bring him straight back in. I think I, I actually think McCluskey's been pretty good in that 12 slot. Um, you know, Aki showed some good stuff too. Um, I Look, I, I think I think Henshaw gets back in for, um, you know, I think he has enough opportunities with big games. I think Leinster have enough big games for him to get back into the team come World Cup time. You know, like he'll be playing in the qualifiers of the league at the very minimum, even if they blow up in the uh, in the Heineken Cup. Um, so I wouldn't be worried about him. Do you know, you kind of worry about not getting a look at another guy before the World Cup. Like Aki is a guy now I'd be really worried about in that front. You know, going back to Connacht. I mean, I wonder what the relationship is like there. If that's completely broken, um, it's a weird way to think about it. But you might not see him again really for a while. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I could be wrong on that one, but it's maybe something to think about. Um, but I, I think those two guys have played well enough to be given an opportunity in 12. And I think Ringrose definitely has to come back in there. Um, and maybe do you bring Henshaw back on the bench? I don't know. I just don't know if he offers you enough off the bench in terms of different positions. Um, you know, um, maybe Mac Hansen gives you enough to be able to switch him in and out, maybe, uh, you know, full back or something like that. But. Um, yeah, I don't know, I'm a bit torn on that one. You know, you could put Ringrose to the wing if there was some kind of, you know, if there was a bit of a, a jiggery-pokery in the back line with a few injuries. Um, but I do, like, you'd love to see Henshaw play a little before, you know, like, before um, the Six Nations is over. But I just, I, I feel really hard. I, like, I think McCluskey's been brilliant all year for Ulster in a team that's been struggling at times. And I think he's been good with Ireland. I like him a lot as a player. Um, I think the more he plays in that team, the better he'll get. So I don't think Henshaw's a foregone conclusion, or he, at least he sh- I don't think he should be a foregone conclusion getting back in. It's been a while since we've seen him play rugby, guys. I, I don't yeah. know any views on that. Kane, do you expect him to play I, for Leinster this weekend? Because it's funny, that this, <laughs> not that they always mean anything, but he, he was at Leinster training today in his gear, and he looked very much like a guy who was who was kind of walking towards the pitch with intent. And now they're playing in Edinburgh. Maybe he could have stayed there. He doesn't even have to come back. Yeah, yeah. It'll be a handy one. But what do you, what do you think about that one? I I totally agree on the the precedence um, point that that Luke made that he shouldn't walk straight back in the team. But I actually think over the first I would say few weeks I think Stuart McCloskey has done well, um, but nothing to make me think that without a doubt. Ireland's first choice centre partnership is Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose without a doubt um, like I think Henshaw is just so so important to the team I agree like there's no maybe need to rush him back but I think when everyone's fit it's 
it's Henshaw and Ringrose and Aki's been good off the bench as well I agree on McCluskey I think he's been solid like he hasn't made any mistakes but because I, I, I've for years wanted him back in the team to see what he could do and I actually have been a little disappointed that there hasn't been a little more of what we see with Ulster and obviously it's a completely different level he's not going to be trucking over everyone freeing the hands and offloading all the time but I haven't re- we haven't really seen any of that No and I think last do, you, do you think it scarred him you know when he was I uh, know fr- he's made some lads he's done some good stuff like I don't I don't think you have to light the world up every time you commit like I would say that might have been a problem of his before he came in to get in the Irish team like I would say he's had a very solid November I think he's had a solid Six Nations so far and he actually has had some really good stuff some lovely defensive stuff you know like he does a lot of small things very well like he you know an, you know, an extra couple of seconds at a rook for, for the defence to get back in position um, you know, I, I like him I, I just think I, I, I completely agree sorry on Ireland starting like our best two centres uh, I think are definitely those two guys Henshaw and Ringrose there's there's no doubt in my mind about that but I just feel like it's a bad way to bring a guy back in the middle of the competition particularly when the team has been winning all the way through um, you know the argument is that look should that really you know you have to pick the best team available at that time but I don't know is there enough well, look we'll see is, is a Leinster game in the middle of the Six Nations does that show you enough um, to to you know, to, to drop a guy from a winning team in the Six Nations, from three in a row, oh, like in, in the Six Nations. I mean, I'm not sure about you guys. Maybe I'm becoming sent- sentimental in my old age. <laughs> yeah, well, it'd be tough for Henshaw because he got injured, I think, in the second game of the Grand Slam in 2018, missed the rest of it, and he obviously isn't featured at all. What, what could potentially be a Grand Slam as well? But these are good headaches to have when you're bringing in six. Mm. Well, are they all lines? Uh, you know, Gibson Park, obviously, is I think the rest of them are. Ringrose isn't either. Sorry. So scrap that point. We can edit it <laughs> out. Ring, ring, Ringrose should be. Yeah, Ringrose, Ringrose should have been. Be. But to bring that, those kind of caliber of guys in when you're two games away from yeah. a Grand Slam, we're kind of more debating about who should get game time on what the, like we're, it's, it's, it's a good place to be and I think to be fair the the players have who have stepped in have done remarkably well like I mean we've already mentioned yeah, it's probably been one of the positives of the whole yeah, thing absolutely yeah. like I mean the fact that we're Luke was even suggesting there about like Tyke Furlong not necessarily you know having to start but we haven't really been talking about how much Ireland have missed Tyke Furlong over the first three games and that is a massive testament to Finley Beelan and Tom O'Toole like Tom O'Toole is third choice tight head in Ulster and this is, goes back to the point about how Andy Farrell often views players you know in a different light we think of like someone like uh, Gibson Park who was second choice uh, scrum half behind Luke McGrath Kieran Treadwell who was brilliant on the, the tour to New Zealand last year and is now out of the, the picture so I think this is another example of you know seeing something different maybe to the provincial coaches but then also backing them like if if Tom O'Toole started against Scotland um you would have far more faith in him I think standing up to it as opposed to you would have maybe at the start of the tournament so um, they're good headaches to have like you said Will so it'd be, I'd be a surprise to see all six coming back and starting in Murrayfield I don't think that that would send the right message out either but uh, good place to be to be fair Andy Farley he does have a good eye for like like even Matt Hansen when he got that first cap against Wales last year jeez <laughs> I, I was in shock like I actually almost fell out of my chair when I heard that he was being brought right in but to be fair he, he, he's delivered for him like he you know two key moments moments of the weekend mm. for Troy's and a lot of good good involvement Luke what did you make of the France Scotland game then um, you're shaking your head there I don't know if it's about Matt Cancer uh, no sorry yeah <laughs> keep going no no what, what, <laughs> you're, the video link in the corner is furiously shaking your head as I was talking what oh was, my <laughs> what was that? sorry I forgot I was on video <laughs> um, yeah oh um, 
No, I'm not going to get it. I think, look, he's, I, I like, he's a very skillful player. I really like watching him. He's got lovely hands. Like so, some of the, the quick hands for the, I think it was the Aki break um, from the set, the line at set play. Like he has some lovely, lovely touches, but I worry him a little bit about physically. Like, you know, I thought he should have got over the line against DuPont and a uh, few other moments. Defensively, I'm not sure about him either. But look, um, yeah, that, that definitely is something that I didn't see. Like, I'd still rather have Andrew Conway there, I think. Um, you know, if everyone was fit and healthy, I'd still probably Jimmy O'Brien uh, to him as well. Um, yeah, maybe I'm being harsh on him. Like, he, look, he's had some brilliant moments. Like, the, obviously, the kick take from the the uh, last year in Paris was was a brilliant moment. Um, you know, he's a player who backs himself. Um, and I do love, I love the, I love his ball playing ability. I think he's really classy at that. I, I, I just, he's brave with that. He's loose as well. I don't always like that, but I do love that he's trying things. And I do think he does come off for him enough times for him to keep trying it. So, um, no, I do. I do like Mike Hansen. I just. It sounds like it to be fair. There's a bit of a, there's a bit of a hype train. There's just I just feel like there's a bit of a hype train on that one. Um, uh, just a little bit, to be honest with you. I, I'd nearly rather Earls as well, but Earls looks like he might be near the end at this stage with the injuries. The, um, the, the mad thing about uh, Mike Hansen is um, he wouldn't have got next or near a Joe Schmidt team because of because no, he's so no, so loose. Like it's just <laughs> funny, yeah, like how. Yeah, yeah. You know, coach I find it hard things. to watch him sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, lie, I, I, I find it great to watch him because he's so exciting, and you know, like. But I do, I do agree with you. I think he's a bit of he has a bit of the James Lowe's in him once the the ball gets out wide, and he's kind of one on one. You're kind of. You're I kind agree. Of, like yeah. mad things, like you know the, the ball in one hand thing. Like I, that, there are things that I, like, like they drive me. Like I was, I was in the middle of a pub, and I'm pretty sure I was, I kind of embarrassed myself, like, <laughs> like quite abuse, quite abusive talk, like, and then Aki did the same thing and nearly blew it as well. I was, I don't get those things. I, I always feel like it's a team that gets you over in the corner, and like the little bit of showboat in the end, always just get the thing down, just do the do the celebrations after. But anyway, um, maybe I'm a bit old school on that front, but I, I think I was probably proved right in the weekend because every one of those you drop over the line to me is. It's like inexcusable, you know. But anyway, um, look, moving on to that, that France thing. Sorry, I, I feel like I was a real dampener there. Um, and I, it's always people in my own position, but I suppose I have maybe a unique enough insight into what it takes to be an international player in that position. Um, but uh, look, moving on to that that uh, Scotland-France game, Will. Um, yeah, look, very interesting. I mean, it does, like Scotland, very scrappy, weren't they? I mean, you're, you'd be worried going over to, to Murrayfield with them. I think they look like they're playing with a little bit of confidence too. They have some dangerous players. Like the Hugh Jones looks very hard to stop. And Ringrose looks like it looks bloody important to have him back on the pitch, doesn't it? To, to stop a few guys like that. I, I believe, you know, Finn Russell still is a guy you can get at over the course of a game. I think if Ireland's pack are on, um, you know, Johnny Sexton there, uh, you know, if, you know, whoever's playing at 12, I think we, like, whoever starts out of those three players, Aki, um, you know, uh, McCluskey and uh, Henshaw, whoever starts in that 12 slot, I think, will put pressure on him and run over him all day. I think he is um, still a guy who can be got at and, um, you know, he's liable to make a few mistakes. He can do some fantastic things too, but if you're on your game defensively, you can squeeze him out of it in the big ones and, um, yeah, I still think Ireland should have too much for them, um, even though I think they're very scrappy and they look like they're playing with a little bit of confidence. Even though they lost that one, there was still a bit of chat out of the camp after the game against France. I think it was Hugh Jones saying they still think they can win this Six Nations. So they're going to be up for this thing. Um, it's going to be an absolute cracker of a, of a game. Very physical, I'd imagine. Yeah, where's your, what's your Finn Russell opinion, Keane? Do you, like, do you think he's one of the best out-halves in the world? 
uh, like Mac Hansen, love watching him play. Um, and I think we should embrace like guys like this who bring something a little bit different to it. Would you want Finn Russell in your team if you're in a World Cup no, final? So, no, if, if, if he was Irish, like, would, we, would we want him to start for the Ireland team? Ahead of Johnny Sexton. Well, maybe if Sexton was retired. I was just thinking, like, I feel like in Ireland, I don't know if that style would be as popular in Ireland with, or with a country where we, our expectations were winning Champions Cups and we're going to win maybe potentially a Six Nations title. I feel like when you're in Scotland and you haven't as much success, that style of play, you know, you'd, you'd be dying for anyone. With a bit of, but like with other countries, would they embrace it as much? I suppose his, his performance on Sunday probably summed up what Finn Russell is about. Like, Rick mixes this sublime with the, the silly, like, you know, throwing interne- intercept passes. Now, obviously, Ireland did that as well but he pushes it so often it's to the limit and I think opposition teams can read that more often um, like I would be shocked if Sean Edwards hadn't got the, the French players on red alert for that and obviously it paid off with Ramos's intercept try so um, he's not I wouldn't say the best kicker um, we saw that against Leinster as well I mean he lined up a kick from I don't know it was about 40 45 metres and I don't even think it made the, the goal but he's just brilliant to watch and he can unlock the, the, the defence so easily like you saw like that French French defence is not easy to, to pick apart and he did it a couple of times with, with relative ease and he's been playing like he, he did well he's been done, done well at Racing um, he's obviously moving to Bath next season which I think is going to be fascinating to see how he works with Johan van Gran because that probably goes back to your point Will um, I would yeah, I w- I'd be shocked if Johan van Gran made the decision to, to sign um, Finn Russell because they're just going to clash in terms of styles. But um, I would still be worried from an Irish point of view when he comes up against them um, on Sunday week because, like I said, if the holes start to appear, which I wouldn't imagine they will, particularly with um, Sexton and Ringrose back in the team, but if they did, then he's got the back box of tricks. He's a very good uh, kick pass, very good pass uh, to pick Ireland apart. So they're going to have to be on their edge. But I do, I do would agree with... Uh, Luke's point that uh, there is a sense that he can be gotten at and when it comes to the big days I would certainly be having Johnny Sexton ahead of him every day of the week Like he does make a lot of costly mistakes in big games like even was it two years ago when they, they won a Twickenham and they won in Paris he got sent off in Paris and he made you know he was very poor tricking him he had, I remember he tried to drop goal with his bad foot and like scuttled along the ground laid on when he just needed to hold on to the ball he threw an intercept try in the Champions Cup final they lost that game by four points they would have potentially won had he not done that but he's a fascinating you know character Luke like, would you like to have played outside him? I think so like I I think he'd do well with some structure like I think you know that little bit of lack of discipline like you see saw Ross Byrne the weekend like Whatever you say about Ross Byrne, I think you know what you're going to get with him most of the time. I, I kind of like that too with a player. Um, you know, when, when you're when you can kind of anticipate what your decision maker is going to do, you can you can find yourself in predictable positions to take advantage of different things because you know that they're going to be you're going to be seeing the same thing that they're seeing. Um, that's not always you know. Sometimes you play with a player and it's just instinctive, like a Felipe Contepomi or a Finn Russell. These guys, like they're brilliant players. I love playing beside Felipe. Felipe was probably a bit more predictable even than Finn Russell, to be honest with you. Um, but they're kind of, you know, they're chatted about maybe in similar veins, you know, as tens in different, in different, um, you know, different eras. But I don't know. I, I, I just my, my initial comment about I think you can get at him and you can get res- positive results for your team out of him because I think he only knows one way to play, and I don't think he's got the discipline to just stick at it and to try and not play that. That, that killer pass one or two phases too early or that that kind of grubber kick through someone's legs or so, you know, something kind of a bit wacky that maybe comes off against Munster when they're not playing that well. But I think in an international team, 
there's too many good players on the pitch. I feel like he consistently, just on a consistent basis for 80 minutes against the really good teams, I just don't think he'll, I don't think he has enough. The, well, the, fu- the funny thing is, he, he's actually ne- like Scotland have never beaten Ireland under Gregor Townsend. Like he's never played well against Ireland specifically. Like his all his best days and performances for Scotland have not come against Ireland. So I, I don't know if it's because of how Ireland prepare for him or, or what reason it is. But all the big turn ups Scotland have had, they've none of they they usually like lay eggs against Ireland. Yeah, I would think that the that this Ireland back row in particular, like someone like Josh van der Fleer, will you know he'll just have a, there'll be a target on Russell's back, and he's a perfect kind of guy to to nullify. I think the the threat that he'll pose, but um, yeah, like he he does do some mad stuff. Like I mean, the through the legs in the monster game that Luke is talking about, like but it's great. I'm not even sure he meant that, did he? Oh, I think he. Did. <laughs> anyway, I I, 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 would, I would I would give I him the benefit of. I thought I was so good. Yeah, through, and like through the legs, I don't know. I'm not sure because it's him I wouldn't be surprised but like you think back to the Lions tour like he brought some bit of joy to that in the midst of what was such a turgid turgid affair so um, like from a purely kind of entertainment perspective I don't think there's many more exciting players you know in the world to watch because you just don't know I, I think Sexton is way more exciting Sexton's way more exciting he's way more skillful than him but, but, I, do you, I, but, like, but are, exciting I don't think there's any compar- like I'm not saying I'm not saying him. Russell's better but I don't know if it's like He's, he's definitely more exciting. Think of how many tries Johnny Sexton sets up. I, I don't know about you. I, like it's it's a it's a weird thing. Like so, Russell kind of has this like this like he's you know got this tag behind it. He's like super exciting, but like Sexton picks defenses apart way more than them. Has way more subtlety in his passing game. He's a more surgical uh, over you know way more, a- way more accurate. His chipping and and uh, and crossfield kicks are way more accurate on a more uh, consistent basis. I would find Johnny Sexton way more exciting to watch than um, than Finn Russell. I think Johnny Sexton's decision making and passing on the line under pressure are like it's the it's the hardest skill in the game, and I just think he does that unbelievably well. Like it's kind of it's weird what what we look at in terms of excitement. I would I would find it way more exciting to watch Johnny Sexton play because I think he busts the fence open with brilliant play way more often. But that's just me. But maybe I'm maybe I'm. I, I know it's a, it's a definitely a fair point. I suppose, Luke. It 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 means like our, it goes back to like what would you, what do we what are we talking about when we say exciting? Like I think what we're probably saying, Will, is that like those one off moments. But like as a whole package, then absolutely, I agree with Luke. And you know, you shouldn't underestimate how Johnny Sexton picks apart passes. You know what I mean? Like that takes unbelievable skill as but well. Like, but no look passes. No look passes. All that kind of like Johnny does that like like it's not, nothing. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? He doesn't nearly every second pass. Whenever he's doing a front door option. He nearly seems to be at the, he's, not, he's always looking at the guy at the back. It's a, it's unbelievable skills that he does. I I would find him way more skillful than nearly anyone else. His ball handling is, is probably the best in the world, and it's never really talked about. Um, I, I would find um, him way more skillful than Russell now. I, maybe maybe I, I see it just just see it a bit differently. But we'll, what we I, want I what we want to see thing. is uh, Johnny Sexton not making Stuart Hogg, and that then it's the <laughs> there's, there's the tag. Well, Hogg's prone to a howler himself, so that, that could well happen <laughs> on Murrayfield. Uh, and obviously, Sexton versus Russell will be one of the you know the many very good battles that we're looking forward to in a couple of weeks. So I'm to finish up, lads. We might touch on the Leinster news. Keen, that's Leo Cullen signing up for two more years. I know you were at the press conference chatting to him about it. Obviously, great for Leinster to have a bit of continuity with some key guys stepping away. You know, what's your overall thoughts on it? 
like unbelievable bit of business um, so so important I thought it was interesting that he signed for two years as opposed to the rolling one year he's preferred to have um, had over the last few years that extra year I think just gives it a little bit more um, solidity like you think that like Leinster are about to lose Stuart Lancaster and Johnny Sexton like it's going to be big big change they're clearly looking for another coach um, I was asking him about Leon McDonald um, he fairly poured cold water on that but um, I think we'll wait and see if there's anything more in that certainly he's been linked uh, heavily and I, I've heard him been mentioned as well behind the scenes too so um, by the time he finishes in 2025 it's the same time that Andy Farrell's contract is up but obviously Andy Farrell is going to be going on to the 2027 World Cup assuming everything is going according to plan but it was interesting you know Leo is a, a kind of guy who like I would say keeps his cards close to his chest but like yesterday when we were speaking to him made no bones about it that he wants to be an international head coach one day and I know even there was to chat about you know could he become the next Leinster CEO or could he take over from David Nusifor as the performance director I don't think that I think Leo has um, Leo Cullen has ambitions to, to coach Ireland someday and lots of people think that you know it's a foregone conclusion that it'll be Ronan O'Gara and maybe it will be but like the job that Leo Cullen has done and it'll be 10 years by the time his next contract runs out the job that he's done has been phenomenal at Leinster um, as a whole not just the trophies they've won uh, but as a whole in terms of managing like such a big squad keeping guys happy so um, Shane Nolan the new CEO was saying it like when he came in and took over from Mick Dawson it was like the thing that was top of his priority list was to get Leo Cullen to stay um, Leo Cullen admitted that he was tempted to look around and see what else was out there but like you know family comes into that like he has his kind of dream job at the moment he doesn't have to move away so all those factors come into it Will and yeah I think it was so so important that Leinster got to keep him to, to stay and the fact that he's now staying for an extra year on top it as well is just a huge bonus for them yeah I do wonder like if Johnny Sexton Stuart Lancaster weren't leaving would he have been more tempted to step away potentially because even when I heard him speaking at the start of the year when that was already been announced he it seemed like he had, he was talking as if he had already signed the contract and it was public you know he, he didn't he was kind of talking about the future and restocking or retooling or you know bringing it all together once the two lads leave but it, it'll be an interesting dynamic post this season Luke you know obviously Leinster will have so much strength and depth anyway but to lose two of the three kind of figureheads in the squad and Leo is obviously kind of enthusiastic about being kind of the key guy there and to, to help bring it on like, once again yeah I'm sure this wasn't all a decision that was kind of made with the you know you know from a legit like a, a a logical point of view you know I think there was a bit of heart behind this one a bit of emotions um you know about you know the job he's done leaving it in a good place afterwards you could argue that look if he left it now you know and they, they, you know, the season that they're having, and if they go on to do what maybe we all think they might do in terms of uh, the two competitions they're in, like what a way to kind of sign off. And you don't take that risk with the legacy as such, with with Lancaster having been such a big, you know, important part of it. But maybe what he does do is he goes on to forge maybe his own name a little bit, and, he, and we kind of realise, well, geez, how important was this guy to to the process too? Um, you know, we maybe are have been kind of underestimating that. So I think he gets to make his own name with that. I think he's also doesn't like he wants to see the job done well and completed and, and in a good position maybe for the next person if he decides not to go on further um, after the next contracts uh, contract or after 
this contract, excuse me. Um, and I'm sure it'll be kind of an interesting challenge now moving the squad on from from Johnny. You know, um, I think he's got loads of talent there. I think he would have looked at that as well and said, look, but well, there's still great progression there in terms of, you know, people coming through um, or succession. Sorry, excuse me. Like you've, you know, Harry Byrne looks like he's back playing some good rugby. Looks in better shape to me. He's got Frawley there. Um, you know, I think Ross Byrne is playing brilliant rugby at the moment. So I think he's got lots of talent in good areas and. There's a nice age profile to this Leinster team as well, like a lot of young talent as well, kind of hitting their peak, you know, 20, you know, 26, 27, 28, these kind of guys um, and leaders. So I think it's still a great job. He's got great resources. There's change, yes, but I think it's an opportunity for him to kind of reinforce what I think about him anyway in terms of how important he's been to this Leinster journey over the last couple of years. Of course, Lancaster's been brilliant, and I'm sure Leo would say that as well, but... Um, I think I probably seen this as a big opportunity and I think it cements him more as a coach. And I'd agree with Keen. I don't think he sees himself as just that kind of business guy. I'm sure he had, like he's look, he has a great head for that too. He's a very bright guy, Leo. Um, you know, comes from good stock on that front as well. Um but I still think he's a rugby guy. He's got you know vast amounts of knowledge from his own playing career, from now his coaching career, and he's been very, very successful in both. Um so I still think he's a rugby guy and wants to be. I'm not. I wasn't surprised to hear him say he wants to be an international coach. And I think if he does well over the next couple of years, it positions himself very well for the next kind of role. That's yeah. I know you mentioned there. Like I know it's a long way in the future. Given Andy Farrell, we haven't even got to this World Cup, and we're talking about maybe the next one. But it is fascinating to see. You know, obviously the Ronan O'Gara, Leo Cullen. You know, they could be going head to head in another Champions Cup final. This is going to be a subplot over the coming years because, you know, presuming Andy Farrell might at one stage want to go back to England and maybe take a job there, and maybe two World Cup cycles might be the limit in the modern era of any coach, really. Like, it's going to be a fascinating eventual debate about who might come in. It is, yeah. Like, don't think like Ronald Garra hasn't made any secret of the fact that he wants to, you know, coach Ireland one day and. You know, the success he's had at La Rochelle and may ha- continue to have over the next few years means that, like, in all likelihood, he might never become the Munster head coach, which a lot of people thought. Like, he's if he was to go from La Rochelle to Munster, that would be a sideways step as opposed to keep going uh, keep going up in one direction. Um, so it'll be very, very interesting to see how it works out, Will. I think it's, it's still... Like, Leinster have a good um, coaching staff there. Like, Andrew Goodman is getting unbelievably good uh, reviews from the players behind the scenes. I'd imagine he'll probably... Take Take on a little bit more responsibility like he's really been dovetailing with Stuart Lancaster he's been talking about it trying to sponge as much information as possible but Sean O'Brien might you know take over a little bit more responsibility in terms of defence but they do need to get the right guy in I think we did get a question from Horsebox inquiring as to whether Johnny Saxon has that shipped sail is there any chance of that rabbit being pulled out of the hat well you never know his brother Mark has been getting very good reviews for the Ireland under 20s at the moment who are also on course for a grand slam it could be some weekend in Ireland and Paddy's weekend if they if you win if the two teams win two grand slams so Mark Sexton is a guy who in Connacht could take on more responsibility as well with their coaching upheaval so um, I, w- I wouldn't be so sure Johnny Sexton would go straight into coaching I mean he's given so much of his life Luke will definitely have a better insight to this than me but he's given so much of his life to to rugby and stuff so maybe he might want a year to take a, to take a breath but then again knowing Johnny Sexton I mean his, his life does revolve around rugby so you never know well, I think we can leave 2027 talk to another day. We've plenty on our plate over the next couple of weeks. Least of all, that's Scotland game in two weeks' time, which we're going to include in the build-up, obviously, next week with a few more podcasts. But for now, I thank Keen and Luke for joining me tonight. That's all we have time for on the latest episode of The Left Wing. As I said, we'll have plenty of podcasts next week leading up to that big game in Murrayfield. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye. 
Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast. Rate, review and follow the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast.